0: Podcast episode 108, BJ's Revenge, or Unmasked Part 2 Warning, no dogs were injured during the recording of this episode. This episode is dedicated to Elaine Bennis and all the girls who can't dance everywhere. Man, Man! Man battle
1: station torpedo. Man battle station torpedo. All right, KISS Army. You wanted the best, you got the best. Now close your eyes. You're about to be podcast.
2: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Halfway through this, I'm going to fall off the stage, but I'm going to continue recording, okay? Okay.
0: All right. And with that familiar music, you are listening to your podcast. I'm Ken Mills, and I'm joined by a great bunch of guys going around the room. We have Gary Schaller, who is suffering from laryngitis. How are you doing, Gary?
3: This comes off an album. came out in 1984. You'll know it from the beginning. goes like this. Wow.
0: <laughs> and we also have Craig Cohen.
4: Yeah, Ken, um, it's great to be here. I sense a crazy, crazy night coming up for us. Oh,
0: excellent. And we also have, cue his theme music. Matt Porter.
4: Meet, meet you in the kiss
1: room. Meet, meet you in the kiss Room With Matt Porter and the crew.
0: What's up, Kiss Army? <laughs> <laughs> we also have Joseph CM Hey
5: everybody. Hope everyone's having a good day today.
0: Mark Konsarowski. I've been down tuned. <laughs> <laughs> and the host. The the reluctant host of the Rock and Or Roll podcast, Cheap Talk, and proud member of the podcast uh, staff as well, BJ Kahuna, or BJ Cramp.
6: I still say you stink. (laughs) All right.
0: (laughs) Well, today we're talking about Unmasked, but before we do that, let's talk about some iTunes reviews, and I'm not reading one today. BJ's going to, actually. You know, iTunes reviews are very important because it, it, it helps us get our ratings up on the iTunes store. So we want to encourage you folks to give us an, an iTunes rating. We prefer a five-star. But whatever you want to say, as a matter of fact, we've gotten one one-star rating over the eight-year period. And it's it's hard to believe, but yes, someone gave us a one-star rating review back in August 11th of 2010. BJ, would you read this uh, review that was put on iTunes back in 2010?
6: Well, can I say, if I've learned one thing from this, it's Use a Better Alias on iTunes. Okay. Um, (laughs) Oh, no. I'm supposed to to read this? Yeah. Um, So, what? I guess the title of the review is... I have no memory of doing this. I think I was in a drug haze. (laughs) Um, You want the best? Not going to get it. the title of the review. (laughs) And then the uh, the body of the review reads, um, For a roundtable discussion of Unmasked, (laughs) they include two (laughs) quasi-snobs who have never even heard the album with a question mark cuz i'm outraged. Um, and one of the other guys says his favorite kiss album is Sucko Circus. <laughs> what a joke. <laughs> well,
0: BJ, thank you for that review. Um
3: <laughs> Wait a minute. What do you mean quasi snobs? On on podcast we are 100% snobs. I resent that.
6: I, I I was I think I was insulting the veracity of your snobbery. Well, uh. Like, you know, Snob wasn't enough of an insult. I wanted to even say you weren't good enough snobs, I guess. Damn.
2: But everybody (laughs) should should pause this episode and go back. That's podcast 31. Yes. So, I mean, you're going way back. Mm -hmm. They need to listen to that first and then decide if they agree on the level of snobbery. Correct. (laughs)
3: Hang on. All right. So I (laughs) I I got a question. I got a question. BJ, since I was unabashedly the, you know, I love this album. And I spent probably the entire, you know, podcast thirty-one roundtable just gushing track after track. Does this mean that I, I am that I was excused from your wrath? Like, did well, I get a five-star review, but everyone else got maybe like one?
6: <laughs> well, I mean, can I mount the defense? <laughs> I guess that would be up to her. All right. Okay, obviously, iTunes was the wrong place to um, voice my outrage. Um, and I was reviewing one episode of the podcast which you don't do that when you review the entire podcast on iTunes so that's really stupid and also going back and listening to the episode I clearly only listened to like the first 10 minutes before I turned it off in disgust and wrote this video. <laughs> so <laughs> and uh I, I can tell from listening exactly what pissed what you know got my panties in a bunch um <laughs> There's the guy Jeff, who I wrote down his exact quote. He says, "I can't say that I've even heard the whole album." Mm-hmm. So that right there infuriated me. That this guy is on the podcast to talk, to do an in-depth discussion of an album he's never listened to, and he hates the album, even though no, he's never no, listened he just
3: he just can't say it. He has something called Broca's aphasia, which actually affects <laughs> uh, uh, expressive language. So mm.
6: well, he also said when did I buy Unmask? I have to say I never did. That's another one of his quotes. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously, that that infuriated me to the extent that I had to go hammer out this review. And also, I know that um, Ken <laughs> on yes. the episode talks about how he knew he didn't like this album when his girlfriend liked it. Yeah. And he can't possibly like music that girls like.
0: And, I uh, said that, that
6: also I'm sure yeah wow <laughs> and Damn that you... also infuriated me I'm sure the whole idea that um I've always hated the concept that certain music is for girls or there's or this macho attitude about about music um probably a new listener and uh wasn't that familiar with ken at that point so i th- ken, i think you were one of the two quasi snobs <laughs> oh well oh,
0: well here's the real story i was going through a crappy breakup at the time i didn't even want to be on the show i didn't want to talk to anybody and gary's like dude you're just gonna sit there and be miserable get on here and do this so i did uh, that's no <laughs> excuse. That's no excuse. When you're podcasting, it's 100, man. You you turn it up. But uh, we had, seriously, we, we coined
3: we coined a new term that day. What? It was kenapause. Yeah, Yes, so oh. I
0: was suffering
6: from <laughs> kenapause. I didn't have. I didn't write down the exact quote, but Ken, I know you said a couple of times that uh, what troubled you about the album was that girls liked it. And, you
0: gotta understand that's coming from like an 18 year old guys perspective and the same girl that loved unmasked hated like deuce alive rock and roll all over and it was like this you think is great but that you think sucks you know so yeah anyway
3: same as the reunion tour when everyone who skipped the past 20 years all of a sudden you know they showed up yeah you know and the, I, I get that. I mean, I, I'm glad they came because I'm glad that the reunion tour sold so super well. Uh-huh. But at the same time, there was that
0: feeling of, you know, hey, where have you guys been? Uh, yeah. The weird you know? thing is that since we've done that podcast and one of the things about doing a podcast or, or a, a discussion about an album is that you find yourself listening to it in ways that you never have, and then you hear other people's opinions. I can tell you that the Ken Mills from 2010 that did not like Unmasked is not the same Ken Mills now who is an unabashed fan. So that, that is kind of odd that I've went that completely full circle, if you will.
6: You went through canyons. Yes, uh, I did. I came out the other side.
0: Well, well, let's let's <laughs> let's crack this
6: open. That pesky photographer keeps trying
0: to catch Kiss off
7: guard. Ace and Peter are intercepted.
0: Hey, Kiss! Look this way! Nuts!
1: Then he
7: tracks down Paul at a restaurant.
1: One on, shot.
7: But Kiss has the last laugh. Kiss Unmasked, the all-new album on Casablanca Records and Fix. Kiss Unmasked, available at Budget Tapes
2: and Records.
0: BJ, what are your thoughts on Unmasked?
6: I've always loved the album, but you know, for me, when I got in the Kiss a uh, big time in like '86, '87, you know, when I was in middle school. I got every Kiss album at the, you know, within like the same one year period in no particular order, mm-hmm. and they were all just Kiss albums to me. So, I don't even know what order I heard them in, or you know, I wasn't hearing Unmasked in the context of, you know, coming after what they did in the seventies. It just didn't matter to me. It was just another Kiss album that I was, and I was just uh, digesting all of it, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I, I it didn't have that kind of context for me. Um so I just, I, I like most of the songs on the album a lot. And, uh, but, you know, I don't know why I got so annoyed <laughs> by that episode. <laughs> uh, well, going back and listening to it. Like I said, I didn't listen to the whole thing, obviously, because you guys did have a lot of good things to say about, about it. You know, probably in the most pathetic way, I probably just thought, I should be on here talking about it instead of this guy who's never listened to it. And your dream has come true. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, I knew I knew that I had um, criticized your unmasked episode, Ken. In fact I think i had even told you about it. But mm-hmm. I didn't know I had done it on iTunes until Matt found it. <laughs> it was just funny. And there would have been much better outlets like for email or something like that than to leave an iTunes review based on one episode. That was just moronic.
0: And keep in mind we're not we're not upset that we got a bad review from anybody. That's just part of life. We want you to give us an iTunes rating no matter what your review is, because Speak from your heart. Let us know how you feel, and that's a that's one avenue to do it. Along with the Facebook page, you know. By the way, BJ, I was playing "When You Wish Upon a Star," uh, where I said you got your wish right there. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's
6: good. <laughs> but I stand by the "sucko circus" comment. Yeah, there you go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, Matt Porter, you had some thoughts earlier. And the day we were we we're kind of talking, could you uh, talk about that stack of Kiss albums?
2: Well, I think this this is kind of what makes it interesting. And BJ just kind of touched on it was that he had gotten all of the albums kind of at, at once, you know, and and kind of experienced a lot of the different Kiss albums together. To me like this came out when it came out in 1980 you know it was just the next Kiss album and, and coming off of Dynasty which certainly doesn't sound necessarily like you know Kiss or, or Hider Than Hell it just seemed kind of like where they were going and, and at the time I remember when this came in came, had been released that it really it just seemed like where they were at and you know I, I really enjoyed it when it came out it's it's a it's different But I think that's one of the things that I think about is that if you were a KISS fan now and somebody handed you a huge stack of albums or discs or whatever, where does this fit? You know, does it compare like if I like you said, well, how does it compare to Deuce or things like that? I think a lot of time when these would come out, we were getting them as they came out. And it was the progression of KISS, not looking back at the history of KISS. You know what I mean? Yeah, but
4: Matt, you know what else? It also really depends on your entry point. Right. If this was somebody's first kiss album, they might listen to Hotter Than Hell and be like, "Oh my god, what is this?" Well,
2: exactly, and especially coming right off of Dynasty. I mean, obviously if anybody had picked up Dynasty for I Was Made for Loving You, you know, they're going to have a different perspective and Unmask would be right in line with that versus, yeah, like if you go back and now Hotter Than Hell like, "Oh, what what is this?" you know, so I think that's absolutely true and I'm not one of those people that judges like, oh, well, you can't be a KISS fan if you didn't discover him till then or whatever. Mm-hmm. But but I think there is something to be said for the way you, like you said, your point of entry, I think does really play into sometimes what you think about it. And also even like what Ken was mentioning was when they were doing the review of this, you know, it influenced him based on just where he was at with his life at the time or, or when he found it, his girlfriend didn't like it, things like that. But really, when it comes down to it is like you bring your own feeling to it. So when you get this and you go, Well, what makes the world go around? Nothing because I just got dumped and blah, blah, blah. Versus, <laughs> Hey, maybe, you know, I'm having a good day. So it's, uh, you know, I think that that it does have a lot to do with it. And it, I'm always surprised that this album seems to be either a love or a hate by a lot of fans, you know, right down to the cover and everything. But, uh, you know, I really like the album. So, and that dog sounds like he loves the album.
0: I'm so annoyed by it. <laughs> that, I'm Sorry, that's actually not a dog. That's Gary trying to interrupt you. His voice is just <laughs> that shot. <shocked>. Oh
3: man! <laughs> Let me. Uh, can I just kill my dog for a second? Sure. <laughs>
2: ah! You! 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 Yeah, put it. Put in that sound effect. That'd be hysterical. <laughs>
0: yeah, but then with our luck, somebody would like they kill dogs on that well, show.
4: No, at the end yeah, we're gonna get one-star reviews.
2: <laughs> if kiss fans or dogs were harmed in the making of this episode. That'd be funny. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so Craig Cohen, how did you find Unmasked?
4: Uh, Unmasked was an album that I was aware of when it came out. Um, me and my brother were were Kiss fans from from day one, even. <laughs> before the music, I mean. So I was just turned six, I think, when Unmasked came out. And that was the point where, you know, looking at the albums really sort of defines your feeling about that album. Like, for me, the most exciting albums were Hotter Than Hell, Destroyer, Love Gun, and Unmasked. And Unmasked was my my favorite album cover for a long time. And I remember when we were kids, there used to be like, um, I don't know if any of you guys remember this, who knows, maybe even some of you guys have these, but they put out like little bubblegum records. Chewbops. Yeah. Chew Chewbops. Chewbops. Yeah, and and we had the Unmasked one, and I used to love carrying that around with me because I could just pull it out and, and, and check out the album cover instead of having the, you know this big LP size around with me. So it wouldn't be you know years and years later until I really thought about the music on that album because... Like Matt said, if you were evolving with the band, the sound of Unmasked wasn't shocking coming off of Dynasty. Um, Thinking about the album now, I think if you look at the album and you break it down, in my opinion, it's really probably a couple of choices away from being one of Kiss's best albums. And I mean, if you go with the Paul Stanley sort of theory of any song that's worth its salt can be played and sold to a listener on an acoustic guitar,
1: mm-hmm. and
4: you can break every song down on mass like that, and it works. So, like I said, there's a handful of choices here. I wish, you know, were different, but overall, I mean, this is for me. It's it's a it's it's a really solid album from from almost top to bottom.
0: Speaking of Chewbops, and I believe Joe, you have some, don't you?
4: Yes, I do. Tell I us about
0: them. your Chewbop. Unmasked collection.
5: <laughs> I uh, I was right by a party store. My mom would let us walk by there, and I just go in there and you know, snake, kiss, the neck, you name it. I just grabbed them as it came. I was so excited to get that unmasked one. I was so excited. That was like you know the pinnacle because there wasn't that much kiss stuff. You'd have to you know you got your magazines. You'd scour the you know the TV guide to look for stuff, but in general there wasn't a ton. Unless you went to, you know, the toy stores and stuff. So, you know, I didn't have a ton of money at the time, so it was kind of cool finding that stuff.
0: You know, it's weird that you mentioned that because I remember it was like 1978 and 79. There was Kiss stuff in all the stores. Like you'd go into, you know, a, a whatever store was going on, Hills, whatever, at the time. And you would see, you know, the Kiss dolls and Kiss This and Kiss notebooks and so on and so forth. But then I remember when Unmask came out, my aunt told me that there there was this, like, kind of junk store that was like like a mall where you would get, like, all these closeouts and stuff like that. And she said, there's a bunch of Kiss stuff down there. And I'm going to make everyone cry, okay? They had Kiss dolls for $2 a piece (laughs) the Kiss the Kiss pencils and pens they were like you could get uh, 10 of them for a dollar and they had all the notebooks and I bought like probably $15 worth of Kiss crap that day okay now here's the weird thing because it didn't cost me much and I didn't think anything of it so if someone needed a notebook I'd just go here use this and instead of keeping that stuff as a collector, kind of a thing. But at the time, it wasn't so much a Kiss collection as it was just, you know, living. So, <laughs> Mark Konzerowski, tell us your unmasked story.
8: Well, it comes from the time of um, Kids Are People, too, that episode. I actually saw Eric Carr in the band before I realized that a new album was even out, which, of course, you know, marks the departure of Peter. Anton Figg is actually the player on that on that album, but I thought that because I had seen Eric Carr on the episode, that Eric Carr would be the, the drummer on the album, so I remember buying the record and being disappointed to see Peter on the cover. I'm probably only, the only person who has that perspective.
0: I don't know, not really, because like for myself, <laughs> you know, Anton Figg's name wasn't really associated with it. So I was uh, like thinking, well, this has to be Eric Carr, right? There That's was a part of me part. that thought, well, it makes sense because they, they have, you know, the concerts happen in New York and, and there he's, he's on Kids Are People too, and it just seemed like he must have done that drumming because it was so different than what you heard on Love Gun or Alive or whatever. It just was so radically different. Gary, any thoughts?
3: I love this album top to bottom start to finish I love the album cover that's what drew me in Uh, you know I I I discovered kiss by way of the toy aisles and and the lunch boxes and comic books and I was into that before I was into rock and roll music so as a five year old um, you know discovering music uh, through the visual aspect of it uh, unmasked always intrigued me I love the album cover and the music somehow fits for me. It's happy. It's, it's. Um, I don't know. It's 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 fun. It's poppy. I, I, I look. I could go on and on about this record, except that my voice won't allow that to happen. So. <laughs> <laughs> I just it just delights me just about every time I listen to it.
0: I find it interesting that you say it's a happy album because a lot of the songs are kind of of a depressing nature or sadness. You know, whether it's love lost or wanting. Something does that make sense?
3: No, absolutely. But I think what um, what I mean by a happy album is that is it something to do with the production, the sound. I mean, I, um, you know, it, uh, we were talking earlier about kind of it was it, it matches the. Con- I don't remember who exactly made that that point, but it matches the sound of contemporary albums. And I mean, for me, it always sounds like Electric Light Orchestra and Olivia Newton John doing Xanadu. It's like it's so bubbly that even when it's a sad piece of music, it it it. It really is just pop. It's super um, catchy uh, pop music that you can't get out of your head.
6: Right, and there's hooks all over the place. BJ? Yeah, well, I would say Tomorrow is one of the greatest Kiss songs. One of, definitely in my top ten, even top five favorite Kiss songs of all. And I love Easy As It's, I mean, you know, there's weird production going on that I I understand why some people don't like it, but I just don't have a problem with it. I love easy as it seems. I love what makes the world go round. I think Naked City is maybe Gene Simmons' best written song. Maybe if it was produced differently, it might even be better. But as far as songwriting goes, I think Naked City is just about the best Gene Simmons ever did. It's just great. You know, one really weird thing about Unmasked is my least favorite song in the whole album is an Ace song, which is strange (laughs) to think about. But Torpedo Girl is just horrendous. She's So European and Torpedo Girl are bad. Otherwise, I like the album. I think the album's great. Hey, BJ?
4: Yeah. Since you just brought it up, I, it, it's funny. <sighs> She's So Euro- European is probably my favorite song on the album that was written by a member of KISS, but when I talked about a couple of choices on this album that could have been different, Torpedo Girl's one of them, in the sense that I really wish, and, and this isn't um, an unmasked problem, this is an overall, I would say, KISS problem. I almost wish that Ace had written with either Gene or Paul on on that song. I know uh, Ace co-wrote it with with Vinny, but it just really feels like as exciting as that main riff is, and um, it's really an interesting, cool riff that makes an argument for Ace sort of still making forward progress as a musician. But beyond that, you know, with the aside, you know, aside from the chorus, uh, the verse lyrics are. Are really, they're really not good, and they're sort of a, a sign of where Ace would sort of go, you know, from a vocal
6: standpoint or a lyric standpoint in his solo career. The real problem with both of the songs I mentioned, "Torpedo Girl" and "She's So European," are the lyrics. More than anything, what makes them bad songs, in my opinion, or what makes me not like them, is just the horrible lyrics. Mm. Um, the the lyrics are just so embarrassingly bad that they just override everything else.
3: Okay, let me um, ask you something. It's not my—it's not my job, although it is my, uh, my secret desire to, to change your mind about every song on this album so that everyone loves it as much as I do. And I know I can't do that, and it would be unreasonable to try. But let me throw this at you. Do you guys know uh, an unreleased Ace Frehley song called "The Girl Can't Dance"? uh
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Great song. Okay.
3: I love it. I love that song and I love I love the girl can't dance. I love dolls. I love all of the really poppy, weird stuff that Ace does when he's left to his own devices, because I think at the core, Ace is as much you know bubblegum pop as he is hard rock, even though the narrative, I think in, in kiss the narrative is, you know, uh, Ace leaves Kiss, and as Ace put it, Kiss get a musical vasectomy, which I never understood. It, 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 that's a quote, you know, Ace said, you know, when I left Kiss, they got a musical vasectomy. Meanwhile, Kiss goes and puts out, you know, Creatures of the Night and, and Ace puts out Into the Night. You know, you tell me which one sounds more like a, a vasectomy. But and by the way, I love both of those songs. But I, I guess I think of it like, um I love the poppy ace. And the lyrics are bad, but then again, you know, look at uh ladies in waiting. That's you know, that's horrible. Those those lyrics are abysmal.
0: I can just see Gary now with his desire to want to Make everyone love this album as much as he does. He'll go around wearing a white shirt with a black tie, ringing people's doorbells on Saturday morning, saying, "Have you heard about Unmasked? Would you like well, so, to listen
6: um, to it?" So, Craig, were you implying like that it. is that you is your favorite song on the album when you said she's so European's your favorite song, written by a member of Kiss, or yeah, yeah, I, I think
4: is that you is is a great opening track, and it's a it's a great song overall, but a a. About a, uh, Probably 2014 in February, I guess when we were you know, sort of observing the release date of the first album, I put together a playlist on my blog of a song from each of the 20 studio albums, and I could only pick one song, and it made a 20-song playlist. And I actually <laughs> wanted to put Is That You?, but I didn't think um, a, a core member of KISS being a writer on it warranted it going on the list, so I ended up going with She's Your European. But yeah, Is That You? is, is my favorite song on the album.
0: So, Craig, your, your favorite song and your least favorite song are off um, of Unmasked. All
4: right. I would say Is That You is probably my favorite. And I would say You're All That I Want is probably my least favorite. And it's funny. That's the first song and the last song on the album. Mm-hmm. But I would also just like to say here at this point also that I think there, you know, like what makes the world go round is a way more disco song than I Was Made For Loving You. I, I think there's more disco tinged stuff going on in a lot of the stuff on this album than on dynasty
6: Hmm. yeah that's true easy as it seems too i would say it has more of a disco feel probably than than i was made for loving you yeah i mean the chorus on what
4: makes the world go round that's pure disco you could drop that in the middle of you know saturday night fever and and it and it fits could you imagine
8: motown yeah i would say it was motown with disco beat
4: yeah exactly that's kind
8: of where i was going
0: could you imagine the uh temptations doing that song or the spinners doing tomorrow yeah what makes the world go around even your all that i want those would all kick ass if
3: like the the temptations in the like psychedelic
0: shack era. yeah Yeah. excellent voices bj what was your fave Mm -hmm. and least fave tracks again just we're gonna go around. Well, yeah, but.
6: I, I think of, I've already made that clear. But yeah, tomorrow for sure is my favorite, and Torpedo Girl least favorite. All right, Matt Porter.
2: I think my favorite's the ones that I really think about from this <coughs> album, Tomorrow. And I really like Naked City a lot. I think the one that probably gets the the least from me. I think two sides of the coin, just because you talk about lyrics. I mean, by the time he says. You know, when you decide to pick a mate because you're tired of all those dates, I don't know. I think that's like maybe one of the funniest lines of all time. And just the word "mate" in there, like you decide to pick a mate. I don't know. That's just really funny. And it's it's
0: made a little <laughs> worse by when he goes, all of those dates, all of those dates. Uh,
3: you meet them this place, and, and then, then meet, meet them, them there.
6: there. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, everybody has to go to and listen to pods and sods do their um. Analyze Kiss about that song <laughs> 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 Woo! Pods and Sods, a podcast for the musically obsessed, featuring your hosts,
9: Craig Smith and Eric Miller. But we're going to do another little series where we break off and just analyze some of the most ridiculous Kiss lyrics. <laughs> so it was Eric that, that told me this. and I've never been able to hear this song the same way. And everybody that I've told this to uh, now says the same. For a song about a man's dick, Love Gun right. uh, contains the most anticlimactic line ever to be in a song about sex, and that is, um, um, no more tomorrow, baby, Right. time is today. Mm-hmm. Girl, I can make you feel, dramatic pause. Yes. Oh, it's going to be good. Okay right yeah does it get any more anticlimactic than that <laughs> it doesn't paul should not be like you know throwing his chest out when he sings that line That's right right he it's be... it's it's very anticlimactic he should be talking that tale of his between his legs yeah, at exactly that point. so um we decided that uh we we might now and then pick apart the lyrics of a kiss song and uh this time our target is ace yeah, freely pick apart. Enjoy. Uh, okay, we can call it that enjoy, also. We'll call it we,
10: enjoy it to a granular level. Call it what you want, Eric. <laughs> well, today it's Two Sides of the Coin. Yeah. By Ace Fraley. And this will be from their masterpiece, Unmasked. Huh. And I do love this song.
9: Uh, yeah. There's a lot of love there. No, it's more love than anything at this point. <laughs> um let's break this down, shall we, Eric? Yes, please. All right. They're all around us. They're everywhere. <laughs> you meet them this place. And, and you then we You meet them this place, and then there? And then meet them there. Wow.
10: Uh, You know, maybe he came in the studio with, uh, guys, I got this line, you meet them this place. And then maybe he just got asked. Right. And then what, Ace? Well, then you meet them there.
9: Right. That's right. That's how that comes about. Then you decide to pick a mate because you're tired of of all those dates. Of all those dates. Of all those dates.
10: Which is awesome because he's his heart is really in it. Right. Like, you know, baby, I love you versus I, I'm tired of all these dates. Right. You are my mate. You're, I'm going to pick you. Yes.
9: I'm going to pick you in a way that I can't pick one of the two sides of the coin. Well, maybe he's picking the mate with using a coin. Really? So when he says, which one should I choose... He has two options he has two options, so maybe the chorus isn't that ridiculous.
10: Maybe he has two women right they are trying to choose from right Shandy and Beth will call them and <laughs> and he's coming up he's you know which one should I choose? pick right. as my mate, right, just like that maybe pick pick as my mate. I mean, you have to understand aces <laughs> what this, do I have to understand about
0: ace? <laughs> you have to understand at this point he's weary. <laughs> Pods and Sods get up, get down. That is an excerpt from Eric Miller and Craig Smith's Pods and Sods Analyzing Kiss Check them out, do a search for them, you'll find them We will put links in the show notes
6: Yeah, they cover it all uh, Yeah, I mean, I just think Two Sides of the Coin, melodically and riff-wise is, just, is, a, is a way better song than Torpedo Girl It does have pretty bad lyrics, but Okay, Joseph, your least favorite and your favorite
5: my least favorite would have to be Torpedo Girl. I love Ace, but just lyrically, it kills me. Um, it's one of those, you know, you're all of a sudden, you hear that beginning, and I'm like, ah, oh, all right, I'll listen again. But sometimes I pass. My favorite has to be, uh, it's kind of a tie, easy as it seems, and what makes the world go round. Those two, those almost feel like a Dynasty feel to it.
10: Mm-hmm. That little
5: beginning with the bass. It's very disco-y, Motown, as we said. Um, I actually thought about it, calling it rock and rolla, just slightly, like a distant rock and rolla, to it. But those two songs, I love those. I'll uh, this whole album, I'll sing out loud in the car. I, I play it weekly. It's one of my favorites.
0: Okay, let's all go right with Joe. Mark Konzarski, <laughs> your favorite and least favorite.
8: I love all. I love almost every song on this record. I really do indiscriminately. I love all the Paul songs. But if I have to choose an absolute favorite, it's probably going to be Naked City, which is one of Gene's. Uh, but one of Jeans is also my least favorite on the album, You're All That I Want. Very so good. I'll, Gary?
3: I'll go She's So European for my favorite. Okay. I love the keyboards. I love the lyrics. I love I love the, the just the songwriting out, the whole thing. I think from an arrangement perspective, She's So European may be the most
8: complex song on the album. Yes. Yeah.
4: Great intro. Anton absolutely kills it on that intro. Oh, my God. Yeah. He's just unbelievable on this record,
3: top to bottom.
0: So, so Gary, the difficult question, your least favorite...
3: Right, right. No, I know. I'm thinking about it. And this is again not, you know, not a song. It's like I like this song a lot, and I would, I guess, I would say, "Is that you?" Might be my least favorite. I mean, it's such a good song, and I love it. I love it when they played it live, and it's it's super fun. I just think that if I had to pick a least favorite, that might be it. I just, could, just, just for a second, to go back to uh, what makes the world go round. You uh-huh. ever notice there's some Kiss songs where the where the way the drums come in or the bass at the intro to the song it kind of throws you off a little bit like you don't know exactly where you are um, like
0: a staggered kind of a thing
3: yeah um christine 16 um uh oh baby driver is 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 one of the weirdest that one too has a kind of a i don't know it's a really it, it's sort of has a displacing uh, uh, effect I, anyone else notice that Listen, when, um, Only You has that same
8: kind of thing, too. Even though there's no drums in the intro, the, the riff seems almost backwards. I wonder yeah. if that's just a, a songwriting convention of Gene's. Because it seems like Gene's songs are the ones that mostly feature that.
3: Yeah. Man, I, I'll I'll go to my grave most likely saying that Gene is such an under, underrated songwriter and just does some interesting stuff when he writes music. Sadly, I think he's most underrated by himself. Probably. Oh, I don't know. I think he. I think there may be another guy in that band who doesn't uh, who takes yeah. for granted how talented yeah. Gene is. Anyway.
2: <laughs> Zoiks. <Why? laughs>
4: While we're still talking about Is That You, Gary, I do want to mention that vocals on that song, I think the attitude Paul has is so great. I mean, when you Amazing. talk about the attitude of the vocal fitting the lyrical content, it's a perfect marriage.
3: Okay. Well, look, Paul Stanley is incredible. And You know, and he I think I still think he's incredible. I I, I mean, you know, I know that I know there's a lot to be said for where the band are right now and how they sound and whatever else people could could complain about. But I mean, Paul brings an attitude still that is just it's it's peerless. And you're right. uh, Even on what I've chosen as my least favorite song on one of my most favorite albums, he, he there's so much. Swagger every word he spits out with with yeah. just ton, dripping with uh like malice and and uh ah, amazing.
0: so who wants to take a stab at what my favorite one would be? shandy you're right, you're absolutely right. I think it's pop perfection, and uh, it, it actually this song almost always makes me cry when I hear it yeah. I mean if there's there's two songs that if you want to make me cry, you can play. Well, I, I guess actually a lot if you take songs done by Celine Dion, but that's <laughs> um but there's there's two songs that always make me cry. One uh Shannon, the song about a dog drowning. You, you guys know that song from the 70s? Know. Oh my god, no.
6: You don't know Shannon? Oh. No. Someone wrote a song about a dog drowning? <laughs>
5: The 70s had a lot of songs like that, like Billy. Story Dougie, songs. Jero. Yeah, story songs. Night wow. went out in Georgia. There were some really sad songs.
6: Is it the sequel to <laughs> Me and You and a Dog Named Boo? No.
5: <laughs>
6: Here we go.
0: <laughs> Recognize it yet? No. No. I do. Thankfully not. <laughs> I love this song. It makes me cry.
1: Another end.
6: Mama says she's again. <clears throat> Is this the same way Gary got his dog one can even
0: tell This was a huge hit. So, how you, you know got off the leash <laughs>
11: Now you're down because of <laughs> me. <laughs> That way, hey, if Papa here,
0: I'm sure he tell She's drifting, She's drifting out to sea. She's drifting out to sea. The beach boys are singing background. She always loved to swim and play. Maybe she'll find an island with a shady tree just like the one in our backyard.
2: I gotta go write a new iTunes for you right now. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta talk that up
6: as Casey
7: Casey, though. Here's a song about
12: a dog that's dying
7: in a family pet. I'm Casey Casey. I'm
6: gonna an up tempo song and talk about a fucking dog <laughs> dying. <laughs>
0: I'm Casey Kasem, and here's a song about a dog dying that's gonna make little Kenny Mills cry. It's Henry Gross with (laughs) Shannon.
3: Of all the canine asphyxiation songs that I know,
0: this is your favorite?
3: It is the best.
0: I love this song, you bastards, you heartless, heartless bastards no, seriously, but that song and Shandy always make me cry, and I don't know why there's that that one part Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute you don't know
3: why the song about the drowning dog makes you cry
0: no, I actually have a I, I had a dog that it was a mutual decision but I have a dog named Shannon that I lost in a divorce and I love that dog. <laughs> and okay, so I have to think about other things for a second.
3: Even if you're the president of the 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 Hating Dogs Society, the the North
0: American Dog Haters, haters yeah. Yeah. That song would still make you sad. So I miss my dog and I love her. Anyway, so there you Let's go. Good
2: Gene, Gene do a cover of that? <laughs> <laughs> Actually,
0: yeah, Gene could do like... a cover of Shannon. There no, you go, you go, go Matt. Matt. Good you know, one. You know what album that could be
3: on, right? What? That could be on, especially if you listen to the, to the guitars and keyboards, Peter Chris's 1978 solo album.
0: Oh my God, that would have worked perfect. It sounds like Don't You Let Me Down. That kind of. There's something about the pulse character from the viewpoint of the song shandy he knows that it's not going to work out no matter how much he cares about her and and that's just that's kind of sad but it's a beautiful Eventually thing
6: he's gonna have to drown her. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like a dog
0: as a matter of fact gary shaller and i uh recorded a version of that didn't we gary yes that's right we did play yeah. a little bit of that now when you'll it probably sounds like a dog dying so
3: Wait a minute. I'm not on this, am I? Yeah. You played guitar. Oh, no, I didn't. You played
0: one of the guitar parts. Did I really? Yes you did. <laughs> Don't you remember?
3: Is it is this uh on the uh seduction of the internet? No. Wait a minute. What's it on? What's Nothing, it right? on? It's, it's just no, it, it's reported. just
0: something that we did. Yeah.
12: Oh yeah, maybe okay.
0: Let me do a certain here we go.
3: That's awesome. I, I, you know what? You got to send that to me. I don't, it was so long ago, and I haven't heard it since. That's dude, you you nailed that. I thought it sounded really good.
4: Well, oh yeah, totally. Very like, very good work, guys. Can, can we talk a little bit real quick about the comparison that people have drawn between Shandy and Joe Walsh's Tomorrow? Yes, let's do that. Yeah, I, I think that th- this song Shandy gets. Unnecessarily or unfairly lumped in as a, a, a tomorrow ripoff. Mm-hmm. Where really, if you get past the the intro with the song and the similar, you know, especially lead guitar line, you know, from a, a melody standpoint, there's nothing similar there. And I and I think that if there was really any kind of legitimate, um, you know. Um, stealing that went on mm-hmm. um that this would have went to some kind of litigation yeah i agree 100 let me and ask we'll, you
2: one question before you go to that though right sure. how many of you nerds out there listening right now just like me have talked to me as a ringtone on your phone <laughs> right <laughs>
1: <sighs>
0: awesome <laughs>
2: that's Wait. a good one that's a
0: good one well well let's 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 talk about how Kiss was represented visually. First we'll talk about the album cover and then we'll talk about the videos and the appearances that we saw from around this time. Matt Porter, your thoughts on the album cover?
2: See, I love the album cover because I'm a big comic book fan. So around 1979, 1980, 1981, all that, I was reading tons of comic books. I always did. So to me, it made really good sense. And it's funny because I read something the other day where somebody was like, oh, when it says I I say they stink, that he felt offended as a Kiss fan. And I'm thinking, no, that represents everybody who just doesn't get it. Right. Yeah, that was Rolling Stone. And it was just like, it's one of those things where like, even on that cover, like, first of all, that girl on the front, you know, the second panel looks like Linda Carter, and who wouldn't mm-hmm. want to date Linda Carter? You know, and then the whole thing with like Gene with the red in front of his face looking like those pictures with Cher, and I think it was tremendous. So I love the cover. I love the poster, and I have it hanging in my kiss room right now. And, you know, it's, uh, I, th- I thought it was great. Joe?
5: I'm a huge fan of the cover. I have the poster hanging up as well. I sent a picture to Matt of it today, actually. Oh. <laughs> It I huge comic book fan Marvel Comics in that day and the cover you know I, I got it you know the, the guy on the cover just didn't get it he uh, you know it's just like everybody out there you know I was alone you know and I was enjoying them by myself because they all said they stunk. Mm-hmm.
3: I gotta put in a I gotta put in a shameless plug here. One of my favorite interviews that we ever did on podcast was uh, uh, with Victor Staben the artist who did the Kiss on Mask cover and he talks mm-hmm. a lot about that guy. He says that the guy looks like he was squeezed out of a tube of toothpaste that <laughs> I really think is funny. He does look like that.
0: He does cuz his does hair the has
3: that Everyone is looking except that guy's weird. Yeah. It kind of like a
6: howdy doody look to him. Yeah. yeah. BJ? Yeah, I love the cover. Um, it's fun, you know. It's a fun album cover. Um, and I really like like the unmasked logo, the way it's the the cartoonish logo for mm. the album and everything.
0: That's one of the and strong points, Where they're
6: hiding their identities and all that—you know, playing up all of that stuff—and it has a good punchline to it too, you know. And yeah, the poster yeah. was amazing as well. I had that on my, the wall as a kid, uh, that my uncle gave me his—the poster that came with his record back then—and I had it on the wall.
0: Oh, that's cool. Mark Konzorowski.
8: Oh, it's definitely by far one of my favorites.
0: It has—it has an interesting
8: style to it, the artwork it's a little bit different than like the destroyer and love gun designs those are more sort of classical comic uh, illustrations whereas unmasked has more of like a a contemporary underground feel to it it's kind of more the stuff you would find in heavy metal magazine at the time you know the art the uh the artwork magazine right so it's it's definitely got more of an underground feel to it and I think that's that's interesting that at the same time the music was changing, the style of artwork was changing as well,
0: everything was changing in Kissland around that time. Craig Cohen, your thoughts on the cover?
4: Kind of like, like Matt said, it was, you know, as a comic book fan, especially when I was a kid, this album really served double duty. It, it, it was musical, and you could put on and listen to the music, but at the same time, you could sit there and look at the cover and read this, you know, this story, which I, I thought was really cool. And... It wasn't it really surprised me when I sort of on the internet learned that this album cover really isn't that loved by, I guess, some of the more hardcore KISS fans, although everybody here seems to love it, so that's good to hear. Well And I... how else can you not love an album that's got four bass drums on a drum kit? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's true, that's true. I guess I'm the one holdout that it's it's not one of my favorites. I think that we, as KISS fans, were spoiled by having such iconic images. Even Dynasty, for what it is or isn't, it's still iconic, you know. What's iconic to me is the one panel that became the poster. I would have almost preferred to have that be the cover. But then I would have missed out on the fun aspects of it. So it's one of those moments in KISS even
4: though you'd like to maybe change it, you wouldn't because it is what it is. Ken, that image that they use, that that bottom image of them unmasking, that was what did, did Staben used? What a, a photo shoot from the Dynasty sessions for yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, the the with the straitjacket photos, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, and if you Cause...
0: look at if you look at the poster that came with Dynasty, that's kind of like the the pose that they're in, mm-hmm. you know. So that kind of a thing. Now we were talking about Shandy earlier. Let's talk about that video and that video shoot. It was Peter Chris's last appearance with the band, and that had to be very bittersweet. You go yeah, into.
4: He was out of the band already at that point, wasn't he? And, and he sort of came yep. back as a favorite?
0: Well, no, I yeah. think it was part of his contract. He still okay. had that to fulfill. But just imagine you walk into a room, a member of KISS still, and you walk out of that room,
4: no longer a member of KISS. Peter talks about that in his book, and it's actually one of the more interesting sections of that book for mm-hmm. me. I agreed, I, I, 100%. About how everybody just left, and there was very little fanfare.
0: The The guys hardly talked to him at all. Uh, I think that Peter says that he asked Gene if he could keep his base, and Gene said, sure. <laughs> and they took their makeup off and walked out the door.
4: I do like the fact that that video tried to sell or further sell the the concept from the cover where you have somebody that is is trying to catch Kiss without their makeup.
0: Uh-huh. Any thoughts on the video, Mark Kanzarowski?
8: I pretty much covered it. I, I love the fact that Peter doesn't really seem to know the song terribly well. Yeah. He's he's hitting symbols <laughs> at inopportune moments. BJ? Yeah, other...
6: yeah, I mean, this was pre-MTV, right? So, um... They, were, they made these, these videos, uh, when were they even shown? They were shown during... Did they show these kind of videos during um, Don Kirshner's rock concert and stuff like that? Yes, you, you would see
0: things like that. Um, a lot of the KISS early videos were made for TV appearances where they couldn't wind up... Solid, old. Yeah, exactly, things right, like that. Right. So, in this case, it was on Don Kirshner's, but uh, kind of bizarre, because there wasn't the outlet yet, you know what I mean? Matt Porter?
2: I like it at the end where they all turn around. They have the makeup and they're in their street clothes, kind of going back to the day where they were putting out the idea that they wore the makeup all the time. I thought that uh-huh. was kind of cool, but I don't think I I don't remember seeing this until later. I don't remember even seeing it at the time because, like you said, there really wasn't any place where videos were really played, and so I probably didn't see it till a couple years or later. Uh-huh.
8: There were a few record stores that did have in-house TV monitors, uh-huh. and I would occasionally see them. Uh, musical videos at those stores places like uh, listening booths yeah so there there's a chance that that the the video was shown at those kind of places in-house
0: joseph
5: i didn't see it till a little later on when uh the vhs uh collections you could find at the conventions came out and uh i just you know i stopped by a guy's table and just start buying up the VHS and all of a sudden I'm like, holy smokes, this is awesome. And, and just like, you know, was said earlier, when they all turn around, you know, living in the makeup, as I've told you before, I, I when I was younger, I truly thought they all, you know, lived together, very monkey style, you know, in one house together. And, uh you know, wore the makeup most of the time. I was young. <laughs> but uh, as videos go, it's a good video. I And, yeah, I thought I was the only one who noticed Peter wasn't, uh, he wasn't really playing <laughs> the song itself and it is it is very bittersweet mm. everyone came back again for a while right Gary Peter's the hard
3: one to watch for a number of reasons you know it's sad and he looks so different you know he looks like I don't know he he looks like he's already done uh, and, he, and that he put on the makeup it, 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 just the whole structure of his face is different I, I don't know anyone else noticed that he just looks different yeah mm-hmm. and then you know when there's that, that bit on the toms right before the last chorus, you know, after Paul's, you know, we should say goodbye, you know, and then he's like, he's, he's got this funny, his eyes are closed and he's like hitting those Toms going around. It's like roto Toms, I guess, but uh, he's got a really funny expression on his face. It just, it's so clear that he doesn't, he didn't play on it, you know? Right. I love the video. I love the concept of it. It's fun. It's interesting and very, very bittersweet.
0: Yeah. From the PR people at Casablanca, it was promoted as quote, it is unlike any KISS music you've heard yet. This is the tune you'll hear on the beach all summer. It's the kind of song you just can't help singing along with. That is assuming that you've heard it on the radio and know the words. So.
2: And this song goes out to the kid who just lost his dog.
4: <laughs> <laughs> but Ken, that's really sort of an extension of why KISS's career overall has been so interesting. As a fan, there is really an album... Or every mood that you're in or, or any style that you're interested in listening to sort of within that you know rock spectrum
0: mm-hmm. it's weird Paul said this about the song that it seemed to get polished and neutered to a point that I believe took away the heart of the song well, I disagree Paul I think it's, it's just perfect and you know Paul's always saying that it may be a good uh, album or a good song but it's not a good KISS album song
6: did he say that before
4: or after it became a huge hit in australia
0: well yeah
6: exactly (laughs) that's a lot of that that's a lot of that hindsight 2020 that bands do where uh obviously they approved of the production at the time but 20 years later um when when you look at it at it you know with that perspective then they say oh i I wish it was done differently yeah but you didn't do it differently in (laughs) 1980 so right that's a great I mean, point. is Paul saying that Vinny Pancha was heavy handed and said this is how it's gonna sound and you have no say in it. I mean obviously that's not the way it happens, so Yeah,
0: I don't see Paul Stanley letting that happen ever. No. Yeah, I, I, I'm always
3: curious when Paul makes those comments, you know, where was he?
0: Yeah.
3: yeah. Where was he? Was he out
6: of the room? I mean Well a lot <laughs> of bands do that. They look back at their at records that maybe sounded contemporary, but now they sound dated, and then they act like, oh, well, that was out of my control, I didn't have anything to do with that, you know? Well,
0: it's weird, because I, I think the song did better than a lot of people might want to remember, it went to number 47 on the top 100 in the USA, in Australia it was in the top 10. It actually was at number ten. Uh, Auckland, New Zealand, went to number five. Canada, number seventy. Germany, twenty-eight. Holland, twenty-four. And in Norway, all the way to number four. So,
3: I don't know if it's true or not, but I read something or heard something that you know around 1980, one in seven houses, or one in seven households in Australia
0: had a Kiss record. That's amazing.
3: Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's hard to argue with the success of of an album like this and a song like that when when an entire continent was one in seven a, a KISS fan.
0: So there were a couple other kind of videos. I'm going to call them appearances, if you will. There's a video of what makes the
3: world go round. That is not a real performance of that song, nor are they actually lip syncing it. But mm-hmm. it is live footage from that tour, um, cleverly matched to the song.
0: Okay. Right. Right.
3: There's an "Is That You" lip sync video. That's that's a performance on the stage without an audience. You know, kind of like. Um, sure knows something but with lower production values right Uh, and I think it was probably something that they filmed on the stage uh, on one of the nights of the Australian tour right but like prior to the actual uh, concert or something like that during dress rehearsal or something Mm
0: -hmm. and then we have the great lip syncing performances that we now have on the Kissologies of Talk to Me and what's the other track She's So European right yep Mm -hmm. and Gene has this weird thing when he lip-syncs a song. Does anybody know what the tell is? Other than the bad lip-syncing performance.
3: Yes. I, I think I know what you're talking about.
0: Go for it, Gary. Plays bass with his fingers. Yes. No picks. <laughs> no picks. Yeah. And that's kind of weird. It, it's always strange because if... You know, it's the only time we ever see anything like that. But yeah. uh, it's very strange. As a matter of fact, those were filmed for a show called Rock Pop... For, uh, West German television they were officially released on the Kissology 2 DVD the verses of the original version of the song would be drastically different than the recorded versions the first of which went she speak French to the waiters in between sips of pink champagne or, or hors d'oeuvres are nothing special she says Paris is still the same so there you go a little bit of minutiae, useless hey, does
3: anyone know what the lyric is uh, in the pre-chorus is it she's got a well-planned curl in her smile or coverless smile like what is what is he saying not the one you know look in her eyes but there's something about a smile
0: holy shit
8: looking it up right now
3: she's got a well-planned look in her eyes no no that's Uh the first one she's
8: got a well-planned
0: coverless smile yeah what does that mean I have
6: no idea. That means they don't know what the lyrics were and they were guessing. Yeah. That's what I think. On the yeah. Never Maybe.
11: believe her. She's got yeah. a yeah.
6: I always
0: thought something look in her eyes. Like, I'm that's f- the, but that's one of them. Yeah, yeah, the other one yeah, right. has something about a smile. You,
6: like, you know, there's probably no official version of these lyrics. Anything on the internet is probably someone trying to transcribe them, right? Right.
3: Yeah. I so. mean, that, a lot of that falls to poor Julian who does such a good job and he's, uh, we're so <laughs> indebted to Julian.
0: A well-planned, well-planned cover planned to smile. smile. Okay. well-planned cover cub, cub smile. shmeak Michael haka I think that's it. You know. Cover to so smile? She's, not a cover oh. no. She's got a well-planned
6: cover to, cover to smile?
8: I think it really is coverless. That's what I'm Our getting for.
3: podcast Podcast listeners, go to Facebook. Go to the podcast page. And post what you think Gene is saying. All right.
6: Well planned coverless smile makes no sense. Is the problem? Jamie, I mean, what does right? that mean? I don't know. Cover list? Would there be like a list of models for magazine covers I mean, or something? You know, who
3: knows. The other hey, the other thing about those um, those lip syncs. Yeah. Uh, I, I may have mentioned this on other podcasts, but you ever notice how? how neurologically difficult it is for ace to wink <laughs> <laughs> you know it's almost like he's sustained a traumatic brain injury and oh. Oh. No, I mean I love Ace I'm not being a, a jerk I'm just saying that you know that you look yeah. at someone who has like a some sort of a like a a, a neuro atypical thing and and it's like when he winks you know during uh talk to me it's like well, you, you really had to but you had to work at that. That's, that took a lot of coordination.
0: Yeah, but it's one. Yeah, but he's also wearing makeup, high heels, and on German television. I mean, what part of this it isn't is surreal?
3: You, you do raise a valid point.
0: And, and, and like uh, he wasn't winking; he was winking. Winking. Oh, that was bad. <laughs> but but seriously, you're in this ridiculous garb. You're trying to look cool. You've been given a chance to sing lead on television. And he's he wants to you know he's like I'm gonna I'm gonna wink at that one part it's gonna be so cool so it's like here it comes here it comes so I think that he was just like I don't want to screw this up and you know uh, you're probably right and I love I mean his
3: every time he wears that costume on you know on screen it's also just amazing to to notice how uncomfortable it is to look at with the light reflecting off of 87 mirrors you know it's like for, forget the you know like the Crazy Nights album cover. Yeah, you know, it was an homage to Aces' most uncomfortable al- uh, uh, outfit you know for anyone who likes watching really uncomfortable lip syncs mm-hmm. okay you, you owe it to yourselves whether you like Pink Floyd or not to go to YouTube and watch the, um, the there's two lip syncs to the song apples and oranges okay it's a 1967 single. And the one you want to find is is a uh, is not a like uh, there's one on American Bandstand that's unwatchable and uncomfortable too. But the really great one is where they're sitting in like uh, like in a, a warehouse, like just with a bunch of baskets mm-hmm. of fruit around them. Mm-hmm. And Roger Waters is lip syncing to Sid Barrett's vocals because Sid is out of the band. Oh wow! And, and it's like when they were trying to still be like a you know a pop group like a mop top pop yeah group. yeah. Uh, And Roger Waters is making the most uncomfortable, flirtatious eyes, like winking at the camera. Uh, It'll make your skin crawl, and you'll never unsee it, and it's well worth watching.
0: So check that out.
3: Yeah, apples and oranges.
4: Can we we go back to uh, the the lyrics on She's So You European for a minute? Yes. I was thinking about coverless. BJ, do you think coverless is like sort of, he's using that term like a band covers a song, meaning it's a, a, a smile that you can't replicate? Huh. Mm-hmm. Never hmm. Never would have thought of that. Or or
3: or just that she's like that there's a kind of a transparency to her. You know, like she like she blows her own cover. She's not good at she's not good at hiding. Oh,
6: yeah. Yeah. Her
3: identity. You know, he says like she's so European. She told me today. You know, it's like <laughs> <you>
0: know? <laughs> Well, wait a second. Hold on. Uh She still speaks with an accent from a week in Saint-Tropez. She makes love on a brass bed, which I always thought was she makes love like a bandit because her parents are still away. That's what I heard, you know, but I know it's brass bed now, but when I was, uh, you know,
6: much younger... Cause her parents original makeup or his that makeup design, Paul. Yeah, there
0: you go. She makes love like a bandit. Cause her parents are still away. Well, you ought to see her counting the stars in her in her eyes. You'd never believe her. She's got a well-planned coverless smile. Maybe a smile that wouldn't be on a cover. We're spending way too much time (laughs) on this.
6: But um, speaking of cover songs, uh, one thing I wanted to bring up is I I always see is that you referred to as a cover Mm -hmm. and that's kind of a pet peeve for me because to me that it's not a cover it's a you know gerard mcmahon wrote the song demoed it and then shopped it around trying to get somebody to record it that to me that's not a cover that's like saying there's a lot of songs written by other people that artists did that were written for someone else to do you know a cover would be hide your heart
4: actually in, in the KISS world Hide Your Heart was a a Paul Stanley publishing uh,
6: demo that everybody and their mother recorded for some reason. Uh Yeah, and that's another. Like I wouldn't consider Ace Frehley's version of Your Heart a cover of the Kiss song. You know, he did it or
4: the Bonnie Tyler song.
6: Yeah, right. And so I I always see is that you refer to as a cover, but it's not because to me it's a cover song if the other artist put it out officially on an album and you were maybe a fan of it or whatever, or did your own take on it, that's a cover. But a song that you picked from publishing demos written by somebody else is not a cover. You know what I mean? Right. Has anybody thought about the fact that Shandy is more of a Spider song than it is a Kiss song? Ooh, that's true. Because there's more members of Spider playing on it than Kiss.
0: (laughs) I guess we need to talk about who Spider was. I actually had their album. You know they what, going albums. back
2: even going back to what you were even talking about, somebody posted, that well is cats drooling on the bar stool rip on Peter and you go no he didn't even, you know the guy that wrote it wasn't even in the band so it's right. You know, right. some it's it's easy to make stuff up and how does this all tie together? It doesn't tie together. It's you know, it's all this moon june spoon right. date mate whatever.
0: The only way it ties together it was on a Kiss album. That's right. it. There you go. We were talking earlier in the week about whether this was the album that Kiss needed to make at the time. Or should they have done something different? I'm gonna throw it open to Matt first. What kind of album should KISS have made at this point, if not unmasked?
2: Well, you know, it's funny when you think about it, they had had huge success with I Was Made For Loving You. So, I mean, in a way, I think they were kind of following this kind of more poppy, It is kind of disco. I think somebody used the word Xanadu earlier. I mean, that was what was kind of going on in the mainstream. I think they were hoping to maybe capture another hit like that, like "I Was Made for Loving You." I mean, looking back, was it the right way to go? I don't know, but it was the kind of the the sign of the times, I think. Mm-hmm. Joseph Ciambelli.
5: I totally agree with Matt. You know, it just it felt right for the moment. You know, in hindsight, you know, if you didn't have this album, maybe you wouldn't have had Creatures of the Night. So it was a neat little stepping point, I think. And I really like the album, so I'm fine with it. I think it was right for the time.
0: Mark Konzaroski. Oh, I definitely believe it was right for the
8: time. And uh, if if you go back a little bit in history, after Beth became such a huge hit, they had purposely gone somewhat backtracked by uh, recording Rock and Roll Over. It was more of like a throwback to the earlier style. Mm Mm-hmm. The huge contrast here is that after I Was Made For Loving You was such a huge hit, they went further in that style rather than backtracking. So I I think that uh, Unmasked was definitely a, a huge... It was definitely the right album for the time, and it was a mark of their increased confidence. Very
0: good. Craig Cohen?
4: I think, if anything, they could have made something that was a little easier for the core fan base to swallow, and and as much as we talked about how right the production is for this album, you almost wonder what Kiss in this mode would have sounded like if they worked with like an Eddie Kramer again. Uh-huh. So maybe just something a little a little rougher. But the one thing I found historically with Kiss fans is they might be the hardest group of fans to please. Right. Yeah,
0: absolutely. <laughs> it would be hard to be in this band for that reason. BJ, your thoughts? Is this the album that KISS should have made?
6: Probably not, I, although I like it a lot. I, I think they probably picked the wrong direction. It probably would have been a lot smarter to go in a heavier direction, but that's just hindsight. Is 2020. Obviously, in 1980, people were confused about where things were going to go. I mean, you have the Ramones working with Phil Spector You have Alice Cooper doing Flush the Fashion, um, Mm -hmm. you know, Queen the Game, stuff like that. But then you have, you know, you have Def Leppard and Maiden coming out. You have British Steel. Mm -hmm. And if you look at, like, what Sabbath did with Heaven and Hell and Blizzard of Oz, those both came out in 80. There were different directions they could have gone in, but I think the thing is, in 1980, I really don't think anything Kiss put out would have been commercially successful, no matter what it was. So, yeah, they, they... you know legacy wise looking back they went in the wrong direction but they made a good record and Mm -hmm. there was just no way to know in 1980 what they should do and this is the direction they were moving in and um you know if they would have done uh, creatures of the night style in 1980 that would have been a lot cooler and obviously people would look back on it and probably really love it but you know they did what they did and you know, they they went in the direction that, like, the Ramones and Alice Cooper were going instead of the direction that, you know, Blue Oyster Cult and Sabbath were going.
0: And let's so. not forget the juggernaut known as the Village People. They also did a major change coming up around this time. When Kiss was going to the Elder, the Village People did a new Renaissance look.
6: They totally <laughs> yep.
0: abandoned the characters of the Indian and the construction
6: <laughs> worker. If you look at the Billboard Top 100 songs of 1980, there's almost zero rock and roll yeah. in there. Yeah. You know, so.
3: Right, and by the way, Blue Oyster Cult <clears throat> put out Mirrors right uh, in 1979, which is...
6: But 80 was Cultosaurus Erectus, which That's was... That's true, um, which is, is a heavier
3: record. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I'm thinking that BJ and Gary should get together and do a special episode of Rock
6: and or Roll based on Blue Oyster Cult.
3: You're on. I love Blue Bicycle. Great band. Super underrated Well, and then, of course,
6: the the big rock album of 1980 was Back in Black. Yes. Was it, when did uh, Maiden and Def Leppard open for KISS? It was later than this, right? Yes, yes. It was probably like they made Unmasked, and and then they saw what they should have done. Then they were like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> now I see where this stuff is going. But then they go and make the Elder, so who knows. Well, when but you f- know that the number 2 song of all of 1980 was Another Brick in the Wall, so you can yeah. see where they were going with the Elder, but Yeah.
3: A song by the way, the, the arrangement of which was intentionally disco and not a decision made on the part of the band. Right. But Bob Ezrin talked them into making that song a disco song. They they didn't intend, they didn't in, uh, initially intend for a Brick in the Wall To sound like that at all
6: right and the kids singing on it was as all ezren too i think yeah yeah Yeah. very strange gary Schaller. this may
3: sound really weird besides my voice when when kiss first started there was no such thing as as kiss fans (laughs) right it wasn't like there was a group of people out there who loved kiss waiting for the band to arrive Mm -hmm. uh kiss had to go out and tour uh, and make records, and whoever showed up and bought the records, well, those are the Kiss fans. Now, I realize that's sort of not true because out, out from that sprung the Kiss Army, right? You know, so two years in, uh, it became more than just, you know, casual, it became something very uh, organized with a name. But that was 1975. I would say by 1980, um, you know, it was Kiss fans were, again, whoever showed up. And uh, I don't think it was a consistent uh, type of person who showed up. You know, we, we know that for a fact, right? The people who showed up in 1975 was, were not the same people showing up in 1979. So mm-hmm. I, I think uh, you know, Kiss. We're trying to figure that out as much as anyone else. And this is the thing that made sense, given who was showing up at that time.
0: Right,
2: makes sense. Right well it, longevity it, it, a lot of time that's what ends up most bands if you stick around long enough the people that like you in the beginning are going to say you suck now because that kid down the street likes it you know it's, it's, and, and depending on if you want to be well I knew them before they were famous and this and that and the other and I mean, I think the KISS fan base more than almost any fights among themselves because how can you like it when you didn't know this and that and the other? And it's actually, you know, I think it's funny that way is instead of kind of celebrating that, wow, four decades worth of people kind of like what I liked when I was 10 years old, some people get really offended by that, which, you know, I don't understand at all. So.
6: Yeah, I'm with you. Well, if you look at the year of 1980. I mean it's just a number and decade- the concept of a decade is just kind of an abstract thing but it the but nineteen eighty is such a transitional year for mm-hmm. culture, and the shift from the seventies to the eighties was so crazy, and it was all just kind of taking place here and obviously at the time, no one really understood where it was going, and they were all just trying to fit it to you know carve out their niche wherever it was going to be, and you know kiss just had to Go, go in whatever direction they were pulled, I guess, and um, there was no way to know where well, things were going to go in the 80s. Well, so. well,
3: there's another piece... Oh, I'm sorry. Do you, go on, Gary. There's another piece to that as well, right, which is that um, there was legislation that was passed in the early 80s that allowed um, television programs to advertise toys to children, mm-hmm. right? Or I should say that there was legislation that was lifted... Uh, from the 60s and 70s and so on that, that prevented uh, television programs from advertising to children, which is why um, you know, in, in the, the, there's this uh, market shift in the early 80s where you start to have things like uh, G.I. Joe and Masters of the Universe, which, wh- wherein a, a, a cartoon program ties into a toy line and a comic book and, uh, and games and so on which didn't really exist in the seventies. It, it sort of loosely did, but things couldn't be marked. Even star Wars initially couldn't have had that continuity. And in a way kiss were, um, trendsetters or they, they had to sort of in, invent the wheel to try to come up with a, 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 brand that could be marketed across, uh, different platforms so that you had, um, you had toys, you had lunch boxes, you had a, a comic and you had the, of course the music, um, if if this had happened in the '80s, I think it would have been something very different, and I think it would have um, it would have had more staying power.
6: Agreed. There definitely would have been a Kiss Saturday morning cartoon. Absolutely. Right?
0: Kiss, Kiss, the cartoon coming to NBC. The Adventures of Kiss. You know, and it's weird. You you look at back what other artists were doing at the time. You had uh, you know bands like the knack springing up, and uh, people were figuring out that this new wave thing and this punk thing was happening, and this hard rock thing. And, and Kiss was just in that tornado trying to. Touch ground, trying to find something. I mean, if you look at "Is That You," that's that's almost like Kiss doing a new wave punk kind of thing, if you will. And remember, Donna Summers and Linda Ronstadt both did punk albums around this time—punk theme-based kind of power
6: pop records. Well, but you know, Creatures of the Night was obviously the smart move to make, and they could have made it two years earlier. There's no reason they couldn't have.
0: Here's the weird thing. If they would have done Creatures of the Night instead of this album in 1980, I think it would have sunk like a lead balloon.
6: Yeah, yeah, I think anything they did was going was not going to be commercially successful. Yeah, but As just long, in terms of their legacy, and you know,
0: here's what was holding Kiss back: they weren't ac or Van Halen. Yep. And this is from Rolling Stone magazine from October 2nd, 1980. This is written by David Frick. I won't read the whole review, but just these couple bits here. Heavy metal monsters rarely die, but eventually collapse under the accumulated weight of their own leaden-riffin Tarzan-like singing and boorish macho arrogance. Three new albums by Kiss, Humble Pie, and Judas Priest merely represent different ways of trying to avoid the inevitable. Once the clown princes of Glitter Rock, Kiss started cooling their riotous act on vinyl last year with Dynasty, openly courting AOR radio with the disco-infested I Was Made For Loving You. Melissa Manchester's ex-producer, Vinnie Poncia, provided the proper sanded-down sound unmasked. Again, masterminded by Poncia is practically devoid of the mad, amped-up ravings of such headbanger faves as Love Gun and Alive. In fact, Shandy almost suggests the Doobie Brothers in kabuki makeup, with Paul Stanley's dreamy voice floating on a calm sea of high harmonies and shimmering guitars. Worse rockers like So European, easy as it seems and you're all that I want are disappointingly tame. Bulldozing guitars and blood-curdling vocals take a back seat to feeble hooks in Poncia's lifeless production. That deafening roar of yore might have been an artistic dead-end, but the current schlock just isn't any fun. And this band, even at its most obnoxiously excessive, has always been fun. Consumers beware, contrary to the LP's title, Kiss flash nary an inch of undisguised flesh on unmasked. The group's last record with drummer Peter Chris. So there you, know, you one go. one
3: wonders if uh, if the writers of uh, Spinal Tap didn't read that review when they were um, when they were writing the the fake reviews of the of the Spinal Tap records. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, in the last line of the review, is I still say they stink Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it wasn't, but that would have been perfect. Uh, they go in to talk about how Judas Priest seems to be fighting a war and Humble Pie's kind of given up. So that kind of sums that up. We will post that on the Facebook page.
6: Well, can I just say, despite everything I said about maybe if they went in the wrong direction or whatever and they should have done something like Creatures of the Night, song for song, personally, I like Unmasked a lot more than Creatures of the Night, which is probably not going to be a popular opinion. But I think the songs are a lot you, better on this record. So, But I just think... You know, the smarter choice would have been to go heavier and go in the uh, new wave of British heavy metal direction or something. But there was no way to anticipate what was going to happen in the '80s with heavy metal, so right. You know, it
3: would have been seen as just as fake or disingenuous. True, it, it, they
6: could they couldn't win. It would have been which trend are we going to follow? I mean, with Unmasked, there obviously, um, there's obviously motives behind how the record sounds. Uh, they weren't necessarily making a um, organic album. Um, they were they were trying to make a certain kind of record to fit into with a certain kind of sound. All and right. so if they had done that, the same thing but heavier, it still would have been the same sort of motivation, I guess. All right, well, let's go around the
0: room as we close up this discussion on Unmasked, part d Matt Porter, using Hustler's famed uh, scale... How erect is this album for you?
2: I'd give it at least uh, 8 out of 10 masks being pulled off in the kiss room.
0: There you go. (laughs) Joseph C. (laughs) M. I
5: will give it 7.5
4: masks being pulled off in the kiss room.
0: (laughs) All right. Greg Cohen?
4: Um, I would give it uh, an 8 out of 10. Okay, and equate that to whatever kind of um erection strength that you think fits
0: mark Konzerrowski, please rate this in your kiss album lexicon
1: nine
8: out of ten, not quite a John Holmes, but a cool money all the same
0: Ah, there you go <laughs> Gary Chalair uh I
3: give it a priapism. a
0: priapism uh,
3: Priapism p r i ah. A-P-I-S-M. All right, look it up and read it. P-R-I-A.
0: P-R-I-A.
1: That okay, hold on, hold hernia? on.
0: Hold on. Elephantisius. No. It is a potential... No. Pariapism... These are the
6: unfortunate ones.
0: Pariapism... <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly, BJ. <PJ.
6: laughs> you know what I'm talking about?
0: Yeah, uh, Johnny Dangerously. <laughs> Pariapism is a potentially painful medical condition in which the erect penis does not return to its flaccid state, despite the abs. <laughs> okay, we get the idea. Okay, but
3: but but, but without the pain.
0: Okay. Uh, so I really want to start a,
3: a death metal band called Pariapism, by the way. That, that makes sense to me. And the, and the slogan could be, So Hard It Hurts.
0: <laughs> that should be the first album title. So Hard It Hurts. Wow, that's funny. BJ, your thoughts?
6: I give it uh, Peter Chris's 13-inch penis, but that's a thir- that's a 13 out of 15, because mine's 15. So. Oh, well, there you Whoa. go. That
0: makes <laughs> sense. I will say that I enjoy this album probably more than I ever have, and it's weird listening back this week to the show that we did back in 2010, to this show now. The album really did take on a whole new life for me, and I really enjoy it. The, the parts that I really have a problem with are Ace Frehley's lyrics. Not his performances, but his
6: lyrics. So. Well, Kent, luckily your wife doesn't like it, right? Or else you wouldn't be able to like it, then. You know? <laughs> no, that's, that's different, bro. <laughs> that's
0: not cool, BJ. Not cool! <laughs> Alright. 36% of Unmasked has been performed live with Is That You?, you're all that I want. Talk to me. Debuting along with Eric Carr at the Palladium in New York City on July 25, 1980, Shandy followed along during the Australian leg of the Unmasked tour. That's a pretty good track record for 36% of the album uh, played. I mean, let's oh, look yeah. at you know compare that to Carnival of Souls. So <laughs>
5: zero point zero. <laughs> You were talking about shandy making you sad the uh eric carr version from unfinished business yeah when i hear him sing that one i i i, I feel a little bad just because mm-hmm. knowing that he's you know obviously not around anymore right and that was kind of his
0: debut song yeah that is kind of sad i'll play a little bit of that
11: i
1: just can't pretend no more i keep running
0: if you really want to hear it and make you cry, I could continue to play that version Gary and I did. And here's Chris Karen to share some of his thoughts on Kiss Unmasked.
13: This is Chris Caron with a few thoughts on Unmasked. When this album came out in 1980, I ran into a friend of mine from school. He said to me, hey, did you hear that Peter Chris left Kiss? And I was like, really? A couple of weeks later, Unmasked comes out, I'm like, oh, what are you talking about? He's on the album cover. There he is. Of course, it didn't dawn on me to have the critical faculty to think, hmm, he's not singing anything on this album. At any rate, something happened with this album that had never happened with any Kiss album prior. With each listen, I liked it less and less. And I remember at one point going, this is wimpy pop crap. At 13, this felt like a betrayal to me. Uh, Like many 13-year-olds back then, I was very dramatic, and uh, had to kind of push Kiss aside for a while, although I always did like Naked City. One of the lightning rods for me on this album in terms of being wimpy pop crap was Tomorrow, and I hated that song for the longest time. I don't hate it now. It's not a particular favorite of mine, wouldn't make my top five, but I don't hate it. As the years passed by, and I got a little older, and taste change and mature, or whatever they do as you get older, I learned to love mass as just a great pop album. There's some really good stuff here. And on the previous podcast episode, some of the comparisons to Motown and different things were pointed out. And when I listen to songs like What Makes the World Go Round, I can hear the the temptations in that. And I can almost see them doing the hand gestures as they do, those backing vocals, those response and call things, or call and response as it were. I really like Unmasked now, and I don't hate it, and I realized that I was just having a very um, dramatic reaction to a change in Kiss's music. But I was also transitioning to heavy metal and different things, so that probably plays a part in it too. Because I remember saying, well, gee, Led Zeppelin wouldn't do something like this. Well, of course they wouldn't. They're Led Zeppelin. And Kiss Was Kiss. I like Amassador a lot now, you know. It's not my favorite album like Gary Schaller, but it's definitely better than some 80s albums like, you know, for example, Lick It Up. Uh Uh-oh. I think I'm going to catch some hell for that one. At any rate. This is Chris Cameron with a few thoughts on a nap, and now back to the show.
0: Check out these other really cool KISS-related podcasts. Of course, our brothers from Canada, kiss Science Theater. They dropped an episode on Alive. Definitely worth checking out. And of course, Decibel Geek did their KISSmas in July, so you need to check them out. You'll get to hear Pixie Esmond and Desmond Child and a lot of great people from kiss Joe Polo, Andrew Kiss, and Jody Havnott are keeping it going over at Podcast Rock City. And, of course, Julian Gill, Alex Walker, and the other folks over at the Kiss FAQ Podcast. It's a great show. Check it out. Pods and Sods just interviewed Bruce Kulik, so check that out as well. And, of course, remember to check out The Kiss Room, the other side of the podcast, our sister show, The Mighty Kiss Room, featuring the Matt Porter. And join us on the next episode of the Podkiss, as the Podkiss does its final studio roundtable album discussion, Carnival of Souls. <laughs> well, let us know what you think about Unmasked, and if you want, you can leave us a iTunes review of five stars or one <laughs> stars, and who knows, maybe someday your dream will come true, and you'll be on the podcast. <laughs> and-
6: I'm ceremoniously going to go delete that review now. No,
0: don't delete it. No, leave it. Leave it. It's great. You can change the stars if you want, but, you know.
2: (laughs) If somebody's out there that's a Psycho Circus fan and wants to challenge BJ about Psycho Circus, there's a future episode. There you go. (laughs) Well, we want to thank
0: you for listening to the podcast. Let us know what you think. Please check out The Kiss Room. Please check out Craig Cohen and myself over at Zilch. And the Tricorder Transmission, the Slycast, and his new venture, the Big Screen Um, Book Club, right?
4: Yeah, yeah. First episode should be, uh, depending on when this comes out, should be either out or on its way. And um, BJ is, is a guest on the first episode.
0: Excellent. And there's BJ's incredibly underrated show, The Rock and Or Roll Podcast, where the guy puts out way too many shows and way too soon... Uh, I can barely keep up with them. It's BJ's unique look at rock and roll culture and rock and roll music. And you need to check it out, rock and or roll. So we want to thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. Let us know what you think, and we'll see you on the next episode. Right on. Thanks, guys. See you. All right, guys. Sorry
6: I called you a fucker, Ken.
0: It's all right. (laughs) (laughs) BJ, it it won't be the last time.
6: Let's be honest. (laughs) I was just referring to your priapism.
9: And now the new heavy metal band, Priapism, with their new album, So Hard It Hurts.
14: And that is our show. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web at www.podcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and on iTunes.
0: If you'd like to contact the podcast, please drop us a line at
14: podcast at gmail.com. Big thanks to Julian and everyone at KISSFAQ.com. They've got great information there and a terrific message board too.
0: Thanks also to Keith LaRue and everyone else at kiss online for their great work representing the hottest band in the land. And as always a big
14: thanks to Paul Stanley,
0: Gene Simmons, Ace Fraley, Peter
14: Chris, Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Kulick eric singer tommy Thayer, and the memory of the late great eric carr and the late great mark st john you are kiss and we are your army podcast is created by the kiss army for the kiss army and it is available for free as an internet download if you like what you hear on our show go buy it and support the people who made it podcast is not affiliated with kiss or any of its members past or present on behalf of myself ken and the whole rest of the podcast crew Thank you for listening to Podcast, the Kiss fanzine for your ears.
6: I think I heard Priapism in the She's So European lyrics. Yes. We should yes. go back and check.
11: <laughs>
0: priapism, She's So European.
4: <laughs> All right, guys, I got a boogie.
0: All right, get a Kleenex. All right.
6: Pay your time. All right, later, Have Craig. Have a
4: good one,
0: everyone. SAD. 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 BYT yes. yes.
3: <laughs> Wait a minute, wait okay. a minute.
0: And Gary sadly, we've been checking out the message boards. There are some people that are calling for you to retire with your voice this way. But I'm saying you should <laughs> stay on the podcast. What do you guys think? Should he stay the course? Yeah. We're going to down tune our our voices so that <laughs> we'll all match together.
6: What about podcast 2.0? Well, <laughs> that's
0: an option and you were saying Mark. you can use backing tapes. Ooh, ouch. Well, huh.
6: well you know, we all know Gary Schaller is just a character and anyone can step in. <laughs> that's <the role>. true. <laughs> oh no, I,
2: I, I think we should add this. <laughs> <laughs> I uh,
6: Shannon, I have not heard
5: that song Shannon in probably 30 years. And it was one of those songs that you always did the high part. Oh, yeah. You know, when you were younger, uh-huh. you know, your family would be in the station wagon back in the you know, in the 70s. What was that, like 75 or 76 when that came out? Uh-huh. And I was 10 and 76. So, you know, we'd travel everywhere. You know, we were you know your typical Midwest family. You know, Dad worked really hard for the big three. You know, we'd go on vacation twice a year, and it'd always be somewhere in Michigan, Ohio, or Indiana, sometimes Canada. And uh, the, the radio was your friend. And that song, would Come On. You know, everybody sings at the top of their lungs.
0: If you're a fan of the Beach Boys, and I know Craig Cohen is, you should check into the story of that song a
6: little bit.
5: Oh, totally. I, I know it was an Irish setter. That's all I know. Yeah. I'll have to look it up.
6: Do, do, you, do you guys know that clip of Casey Kasem saying that about the dog dying? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Oh, <laughs> you should the, play that. that you should put that in there. Oh.
0: Here's what you heard on air for Casey's show that week.
12: The three-sister vocal trio formed in 1969 in Oakland, California. They have their 14th Top 40 hit. At number 13, moving up a couple of notches, that's Dare Me by the Pointer Sisters, Ruth, June, and Anita. This is Casey Kasem on American Top 40 in Hollywood. Well, now we're up to our long-distance dedication, and this one is about kids and pets and a situation we can all understand, whether we have kids or pets or neither it's from a father in cincinnati ohio and here's what he writes dear casey this may seem to be a strange dedication request but i'm quite sincere and it'll mean a lot if you play it recently there was a death in our family he was a little dog named snuggles but he was most certainly a part of our family and my daughters have been very broken up since he died we buried him in a part of the yard where he liked to lie on sunny days There was a hit song back in the 70s called Shannon. As I recall, it was about a dog who swam into the ocean and never came back. The song had lyrics about finding an island with a tree like the one in our backyard. It's a nice description of dog heaven. Casey, could you please play Shannon and dedicate it to my daughters Kathleen and Ryan? I want them to know that Snuggles is resting peacefully in his favorite place and still very much with the rest of the family. Sincerely, Walt.
0: Here's what you didn't hear on Casey Kasem's Top 40, the unedited version.
12: Play the record, okay? Please. See, when you come out of those up-tempo goddamn numbers, man, it's impossible to make those transitions, and then you got to go into somebody dying. You know, they do this to me all the time. I don't know what the hell they do it for, but goddamn it, if we can't come out of a slow record, I don't understand it. Is Don on the phone? Okay, I want a goddamn concerted effort to come out of a record that isn't a fucking up-tempo record every time I do a goddamn death dedication. Now make it and I also want to know what happened to the pictures I was supposed to see this week. This is a god last goddamn time I want somebody to use his fucking brain to not come out of a goddamn record that is uh that, that's up tempo and I gotta talk about a fucking dog dying. Boy, this is fucking ponderous, man. Ponderous, fucking ponderous.
0: You could probably give me some kind of warning that I'm coming out of a goddamn
4: dog dying when I'm at Is to make a long distance and dedication.
6: Like, and I still haven't seen
12: those
4: pictures. Those pictures, yeah. I love the fact that Casey blew up there and it got to the point where he's like, I'm going to start unloading a lot of stuff that I've wanted to say for a while. Oh, he just. I, I, I've talked about how much I love the fact or how I could love to go back and thank people that bootleg stuff. And I would just love to give the engineer at that session a kiss on the cheek for, for retaining that and, and unleashing it on the world.
0: Well, what about that clip with William Shatner where he is talking... Sabotage.
4: Sabotage. Yes. <laughs> the
0: guy says, could could you do another take? Could, could I get you to read it more like this? And he's trying to get him... Yeah, yeah.
4: Yep. And there's another great one with Orson Welles.
6: Yes. Orson Welles is the Orson best. Orson is do the best. If you listen to Howard Stern, you've heard all these a hundred times. Yeah. <laughs> and isn't the there wall.
4: a Colonel Sanders one, too?
6: Don't know about I that. I love the Ooh. Barry White. Have you heard the Barry White ones? No. Yeah, he's recording, like, promos for a local radio station, and he keeps messing up and swearing about it. <laughs> it's really, those are great, too.
7: Hi, this is Barry White. Please join me on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, May 8th, 9th, and 10th. For the first for the first fucking thing. I'm cutting a fucking spot, Tony. Jesus. Hi, this is Barry White. And Paul Quinn College cordially invite you to a weekend in Texas on Friday. Saturday, one more time. Saturday and Sunday. Shit. Hi, this is Barry White. And Paul Quinn College cordially invites you to a weekend in Texas on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. May 8th, 9th, and 10th. As the uh, shit. Hi, this is Barry White, and Paul Quinn College cordially invites you to a weekend in Waco, Texas. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, May 8th, 9th, and 10th. This gala weekend will include the welcoming of celebrities, reception on Friday, the first, second, and third rounds of tennis tournament. The first, second, and third rounds of... Hi, this is Barry White welcoming celebrities some reception on friday let's take it after the eighth ninth and tenth okay do it over fuck it hi this is barry white and paul quinn college cordially invites you to a beautiful weekend in waco texas on friday this asshole fuck these words up man i mean he's got words that he don't even need hi this is barry white and paul quinn college cordially invites you to a beautiful weekend in waco texas Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, May 8th, 9th, and 10th. This gala weekend will include the Welcoming Celebrity Reception on Friday, the Barry White Concert with the Love Unlimited Orchestra, of course, and the Post-Concert Reception on Saturday. And a championship sem- semi-finals. Oh, fuck this shit, man. I'm going to lay cut this shit off. All right, fuck this. I'm going to take it up to uh, Concert Love Unlimited Orchestra. And that's where I'm going to stop at. So get your tickets now. Hi, this is Barry White and Paul Quinn College and Cordially Shitty cordially invite your ass to come on down. Hi, this is Barry White and Paul Quinn College cordially invite you to a beautiful weekend on Friday, Saturday. just a bitch. Oh, Lord Jesus.
0: Right, they can get popcorn stuff. Okay. (laughs) uh, 60
7: bucks is way too much to
0: give someone just a blow. Right. Well, I don't know. Ken, when you
5: said that with the change, when my 22-year-old was five, we were at a wrestling event, local wrestling event, and this Mm -hmm. guy was selling pictures of WWE superstars, and uh, I handed my son a $100 bill, because he wanted to buy some pictures. You know, he's five. I said, bring me the change. Well, he comes back to me holding a bag, a big bag of stuff, and he hands me less than a dollar in change. Oh, Oh, my God. (laughs) And... I go, what's this? He goes, you said give you the change. Oh. He bought every single picture at the booth. Ooh,
1: <laughs> good I Lord. couldn't be
5: mad because technically I did not say spend $10 <laughs> or less or spend $20 or less. That is a true story. At, well, uh, every blue moon I'll bring that up because we still have the pictures now.
0: Is uh, taking two girls to the movies. Oh and, yeah. uh, nice. I nice. said that I was <laughs> Yeah he's Lost boat unlocked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
9: Ooh. Oh, oh, oh. This place oh. is nice. Right? I'm glad you wore your nice foot flops.
4: <sighs> Stay frosty, man. Okay. Oh, we're yeah. great at that. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's we are amateurs. Yeah. I make all the sex sounds with my mouth afterwards. <laughs> Squish.